0: I tried to bring you into something better, and you just kept trying to go back. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends and mine, Karen. Yeah. And Tracy. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to episode 120. Can you believe that? Yes, I've seen everyone come and go.
1: Well <laughs> no, I take that back. I've seen all 119 come and go. There you go. <laughs> 120
0: episodes. I, I get a little thrill out of that myself. So I thought I'm I
2: should. exhausted just thinking about it. It's
0: 100 and, 120 episodes. Weeks, not including not including the ones that we've skipped here and there of of uh, of, of doing the podcast. So uh, that's cool and good on you guys for your for your dedication. We've been we've been uh, just discussing all the all the, you know, the Bible standards of life and all that kind of stuff this morning and lamenting it over being in the 50 and over crowd. Well, some of some of us are over 50, 50 hey. here. Some of us aren't there yet. So, uh, you know, us young whippersnappers are uh, laughing at you old folks. <laughs>
2: folks being singular, I'm the only one here who's attained that level of mature maturity.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're we're both old souls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: are you really? Because I've noticed distinct trends of immaturity in both of you.
0: I have no idea what you're talking about. Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, we, we're we just keeping you young, Karen Keeping you young, letting you hang out with the young kids here <laughs> Alright, well now that we've berated Karen enough It'll never be enough, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's get into our topic today We are studying the chapters of Ezekiel Chapters 23 through 27 Gosh, this was a fun reading this week, wasn't
2: it? No,
0: no, <laughs> this is what's kind of some of that stuff here is like, okay, I'm waiting for the joy, Lord, waiting for the joy.
2: Yeah, no, not this week, gracious. Not
1: this
0: week, no, <laughs> no, so fortunately we've had enough in the past. We know where things are going and, and um we know that it's there, but yeah, this week was, this week was kind of a rubber meets the road week and um not a lot of, not a lot of fun. Got to be honest. So chapter 23 starts right out the gate with uh, two harlot sisters. Now that, I that mean, that right there alone, just that concept is is uh, a lot to swallow of, uh, you know, pro- prostituting sisters. Um, it's like, what kind of family did were, were they coming from? Well, we know what kind of family they were supposed to be coming from. And it just uh, went bad, as we've seen. So we have these two sisters that are presented in vision to Ezekiel. And they get the names Ohola and Oholibah. and Ohola, we're told, is Samaria, which I really kind of took to be not Samaria, the city specifically, but sort of like Samaria. Well, I guess Samaria was the kind of the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And then Oholibah is Jerusalem. So we're talking about basically the capital cities of divided Israel here.
2: I looked up those names, by the way, and I was just sure I was going to find something great and deep and like sort of pithy to bring to the table. Nope.
0: Mm. (laughs) If there's something
2: deep and pithy there, I didn't find it.
0: No, what I saw is the names mean, Ohola means her tent, Mm -hmm. and Oholiba means my tent is in her. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess in that aspect, though... This is, you know, they were supposed to be representing that meeting of God and man. Israel was supposed to be this place where people could see this interaction of God with human beings. We think of that, and when we're talking about them as tents, I suppose we're talking about the sanctuary or the temple, whichever uh, iteration of that you want to think about, because the sanctuary is where God and man come together. And I think it's been presented in different ways throughout history. I think the first sanctuary really was Eden. Then we had the sanctuary uh, in the wilderness as the as they carried the tent around with them from place to place. And then we have the temple in Jerusalem. So I, I get the names. I get why he would call them this, because they're supposed to be representing that that joining. But as we know, and as is spelled out in in the text there, that they just kept selling themselves out. I mean in in some ways almost literally. Literally. And here really we're talking it's talking about specifically Egypt. I don't know if it really means literally Egypt. I kind of get I mean I know I know that a lot of times they kept even in the wilderness they kept looking back wanting to go
1: back to Egypt. But, you know I think Egypt kind of stands it's just symbolic of the world. Yeah. The outside world.
0: Yeah, it's where you came from, I tried to bring you into something better, and you just kept trying to go back. And and so, yeah, Egypt is is kind of being used as a figurative picture of, of yeah, that surrounding world, everything that's different from what God is trying to present for them.
2: But I and, do believe that Egypt had a special relationship for Israel because... They were a they were a wealthy country, and so repeatedly in, t- in in historical times to Israel in this present era that we're reading about, they had gone to Egypt for salvation from the worldly thing that was going on right then. Mm-hmm. And they had either they would either go there and buy supplies, or they would you know go there and live. And that doesn't mean that their intentions were. Evil when they went there But that became a place Of slavery because of its Comforts and conveniences And they would lose track of God's Calling by going to a secular Place that catered to their worldly Needs they would lose track of their place In God's calling and I think that to Israel that's what Egypt Symbolized in this in this Call out here
0: mm-hmm. Yeah I, I agree It goes into talking about the older sister Which we get named as Samaria mm-hmm. and talks about how she was a harlot with the Assyrians specifically. So see, this is where we can see, we're not talking, we're not talking just Egypt. We're talking about all the surrounding. And as we get into the reading more today, we're going to see how all these surrounding nations are really a part of this. But she was, it talks about her harlotry specifically with the Assyrians. And I've, you know, we remember that they kept trying to have these alliances with the Assyrians it didn't ever really work out, and I mean, it was the Assyrians who eventually took out Israel, carried them off, and Israel was gone. But talks about how, how she never gave up the harlotry she brought from Egypt. They just kept trying to do the wrong things. And, you know, last week, some of the things we were talking about led led me to believe that Israel had already been falling into idolatry while they were in Egypt. I think they had... Seems like they had probably started to worship some of those Egyptian gods. They were bringing idols into their homes. We know that they were carrying them with them in the wilderness, and they just never quite gave that up. And so eventually, God delivered them to the Assyrians because they just, you know, they just kept falling away. So then, when we get to the the younger sister, which was named Oholibah or Jerusalem, we're told that she was more corrupt than Samaria, even though she saw Samaria's downfall. Now, more corrupt. I mean, Judah had watched Israel fall. They had watched those that progression of bad kings that Israel had. They kept, you know, they watched them just degrade, degrade, degrade until they were carried off by the Assyrians. And Judah just kept doing the same things. They just kept trying. Working into all the same stuff that they had seen Israel do. It's kind of odd to me that we had that split between the two nations, yet Judah really doesn't seem like Judah was really all that different from Israel. They just had a different king.
1: But they fell into the same things, the very yeah. same things.
0: Yeah, they were doing the exact same stuff. So, you know, it makes me think back is like I'm trying to remember back why really they had why they had that split of kings because they were doing the same stuff. And it was worse for Judah or uh, for Jerusalem here, because they had seen what Israel had done and kept doing it, even though they were spared, even though they were kept out of that to Syrian insurgence. Is that the right word I want to use here of, uh, of, of, of hauling, hauling them off and getting Israel taken apart and Jerusalem didn't change their ways. And so that's, Seems like maybe that's part of why they were more corrupt. And maybe in a lot of ways, they were just doing worse things. I mean, they did have the temple there in Jerusalem. And we saw, we've seen what they did to that temple. We've seen how that symbol of that meeting, that joining of God and man was so corrupted. So
1: I have it written down here when I was looking at it, that I looked at it as like Israel being a body where Jerusalem was really the heart of it, where the temple was. And it was literally taking in these other countries' practices, idolatry, all the way into their heart and to defiling the temple. And at the end, or where we see them right now, is that they're completely away from God. You know, I'm wondering if it was just outside to the very core of them is how it's being explained. Yeah, you've taken the heart, you've taken the allure of the world all the way to your heart and away from me.
0: Despite the examples that you've seen and what happens. Yeah. So, uh, Karen, you want
1: to give us a a
0: graphic description of what's going on in verse 20?
2: Is this something horrible? What are you doing to me?
0: (laughs) You don't want to do it.
2: (laughs) Good gracious. Yeah. So. (laughs) <laughs> I, and, and I actually noticed this in a couple of different ways as I was reading along, like this, this is actually pretty graphically worded, like when he when, when God is trying to describe the intensity of the corruption, the, the spiritual corruption that's going on here, like he gets really graphic, he gets really graphic about how young they are when they start and what it is that they're craving about their other lovers, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that God's people are said to be his bride, but there are places in the Bible where I read the verse in Genesis where it says that Adam, you know, quote-unquote, knew his wife Eve and she conceived, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so intimate knowledge, like intimate enough to be husband and wife, that's the same word that it uses later to describe how God knew Abraham, Right. Wait, what? Wait, what right. just happened? Right. Mm-hmm. And so it gets really like this. The, so to, to me, like I read that and, and like I just I just hear sex. Right. And I have to I have to, ex- I have to expand my thinking to be <laughs> like, because the idea of like combining sexuality with with spirituality is so strange to me. And yet I get that it's this intimate knowledge that only comes with your well, is supposed to only come with your life partner. And no one else has it, and it's supposed to be special. And so if one person goes off over there and is, like, craving, craving, craving other people, like, that's a really bad thing. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of gross for the one that's left at home to think about going going and getting them. Like, they're literally a petri dish of everybody they've gone out with since you. And yet you're supposed to chase them down and try to woo them back to you? Like, woo. Like, he, at one point, he goes into this description about, like, wouldn't that be horribly defiled now? And yet I'm chasing you down and trying to get you back anyway. Mm -hmm. Also, I would just like to point out that all of the references that are made about how this started when she was in her youth, like when she was young. You remember Mm -hmm. all those? There's mm-hmm. lots. Of, there's lots of references to fondling and virgins and right. So there's like all these references to her being young when she starts. Like maybe too young. Like maybe she wasn't mature enough for that type of a relationship. But somebody got her into it, or she got into it, or whatever. I have had enough education in certain things, like about sexual abuse and whatnot to tell you that both genders if they get into sexuality too young if they are enticed or forced into it before they are they themselves are ready it it messes you up forever
3: mm-hmm. and it
2: messes guys up sort of one set of ways and it messes girls up another sort of ways but if i lump it into two reactions i would say it's it's one of two things you either become repulsed by it and you never want to do it again, or you become habituated and normalized to it and you it's now a way of life and you crave it and you go and you do it. Mm-hmm. Either way, your perception of what it's supposed to be is now wrong and it's really hard to correct it. So I overlaid that knowledge with, how God responds to it. Like he's watching basically. So if I put this into like modern day sort of diagnostic terms, I would say God is watching his bride who was mistreated when she was young and it has trained her into bad habits. And she now craves things that she shouldn't crave. He's trying to show her the proper relationship and she's over here in the weeds trying to get with anybody who will put out, right? If that makes sense. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yep. It's it's a huge, huge compromise of what is supposed to be. And we were actually talking about this before we started recording about a different situation, but it comes back to the same standard. Like we humans can mess up a relationship any which way. Like you have two flawed creatures with flawed impulses getting together. And I'm not just talking about sex. I'm talking about all the different ways you can mess up a relationship. Yeah. And, and so when two humans are in a relationship and the relationship gets messed up, it's really easy to take my point of view and assume that I'm right and look with blame at the other person and stand my ground indignantly and need them need quote unquote, need them to come to my side and do things quote unquote, right. So, that's a complication of human relationships when it comes to a relationship with God, that issue goes away because if there's an issue in the relationship and we feel that we are being violated or we are indignant or we feel like we need more or less of a certain thing, if it's a relationship between us and God, we're pretty much guaranteed we're wrong. Like he's the divine creator. He's the lover of our soul. He's the one, he is the only one in that relationship that actually knows how it's supposed to go. (laughs) (laughs) And so if we're trying to do something other than that, like these two, you know, these two comparison girls here, we're the ones that are wrong. Mm -hmm. And that was a really long tangent. I'm sorry. I'll be quiet now.
0: No, it was perfect. It was perfect. You did a great, I think it was a great job of really describing what's going on here. Cause it's, you know, as graphic and I don't think we, we don't need to get into the, you know, exactly what's said in verse 20. If listeners, if you want to know, look it up. It's Ezekiel 23 verse 20. Um, it's, it's, it's really, hilarious. really,
2: it's hilarious. Well, and it's,
0: yeah. Yeah. Kind of gross. Very yes. graphic. Um, and it's really a, an example of how the Bible is not a clean, neat, pretty book, just laying out you know, the rules of our lives, it shows all the, all the dirty, gross aspects of our human nature, how we defile ourselves, how we, how we degrade ourselves and God doesn't hold back when he's, when he's trying to teach us these, uh, these principles. And maybe in a lot of ways, you know, maybe in a lot of ways we've sort of done a disservice because we get into a church setting, we get into Bible discussions and you know, we get we get nervous about just laying it on the line of what we've actually just read. Or
2: we can't
1: be real. Yep.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. We want to sanitize
0: it. Yeah, we want to sanitize it. We want to turn the Bible into like bedtime stories for our kids. And if you get right down to it, you there's a lot of aspects of of Bible stories that we would never dream of telling our kids. You know, if we, we
2: want our kid to lay awake at night gripping the covers with the <laughs> Yeah, staring at the it, ceiling in dismay.
0: But you, you think know, about like, it, you know, when do we tell our kids that Noah was a drunk? When do we tell our kids that Samson was a womanizer? You know, uh, you know, all these these heroes of the Bible. It's like they were kind of awful guys. You know, they they had flaws. They had problems. And and we try to sanitize it. And maybe it's to uh, our discredit. What were you going to say, Tracy?
1: You know, but I think that's a that's the beauty of it is God makes it real. Mm-hmm. He brings it down to the level where you're going to be at. Yeah. You know, it, it. I also think of that verse that says, you know what? If you're in Gehenna, that's where I'll be. And mm-hmm. I think that's where he, that's what he's showing us. This is how far you can you can go. There yeah. is no limit to your. I don't even know how to how to describe it. But you know what? I'll still be there. I'll find
2: you. Because I'm coming to get you. I won't exactly. be there because I hang out there. I'll be there because I'm coming to get you no matter how you've acted.
1: But yeah. it, it is. is—it's The Bible is a tale of, not a tale, but shows tales of being human and how, how low we can sink. You know, we were talking about this and we, there was a few, uh, man, it was back in Judges where we had the chopping up of a woman. You know, that was that was one of our probably one of our most intense podcasts to date is that, yes, he makes it real and he's going to show you exactly how far we'll go. Mm -hmm. So it's not always pretty, but I think it blends in. It's, It's part of the Bible. I don't think you could negate it and not and overlook it because it plays into exactly how low we can go.
2: So there's a text in, there's a text in Psalm. Is it? Hang on. Let me find this. Psalm, I think it's 139 that I'm thinking of here. Yeah. Okay. It was, it's something that David said. If, if I go up into the heavens, you are there. Uh, yes. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Right? If I rise on, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the light of day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm so right. Like, like you guys remember this passage. Like he, he. God actually literally knows us from our DNA up. Like it's his breath of life that is that is in our lungs every day. And so when you get into this, these rather graphic descriptions of God's rage, right? His rage and his disappointment that we continually stray. And how actually kind of gross it is, or should be that he continually pursues us in spite of everything we've done and it's like you know it it talks about you know becoming a prostitute in your in your youth and and like seeking out like not just not just accepting the customers who come to you as a prostitute but like seeking them out and doing it for free like no like i'm going to write to men in other nations and i'm going to invite them over Right. Like this is this is blatant unfaithfulness from the relationship that he's inviting us into. And as we read through these chapters, it gets really, really interesting because he's mad at Israel and Judah and he draws the illustration of the two adulterous sisters. Right. But then from there, through the rest of the chapters, it becomes this theme of don't grieve what is Temporary, you know, what we're here for is the ultimate relationship with God. And then from there, it goes in in the later chapters of what we read today. It goes into the final results of other nations who have already burned their bridge with God. He's already spent all the years trying to reach them. And now he's prophesying against them because they've gone past what he can and will tolerate. So there are limits. He's still pursuing um, Israel and Judah. And it looks weird. Like if it was a human pursuing another human in the face of how one of them acting this way, it would look really weird. And, you know, I'm in the field of psychology. And if somebody was if one of my clients was acting like that and continually pursuing a wife who was cheating and cheating and cheating and cheating and just doing everything she could to get out the door and away from him, I would I would not say Yeah, go you. That really represents an excellent character on your part. I'd be like, are you a rug? Like, are you a rug? Why are you lying down and letting this woman treat you like this? Why do you still want to go back? Where's your self-respect, right? So from there again, that's the human standpoint. Between humans, we have to have our guard up a little bit because we can't trust that the other one has our best interests in heart. When it comes to God, if there's a flaw in the relationship, we are guaranteed it's on our end.
0: Well, we're told here that all of Jerusalem's lovers are going to be turned against her. So these are, I think Karen, you said something just a minute ago, how, and we've read in the past how she was, she was the one doing like the enticing and, and, and the, you know, we've read before, you know, she's the one paying people to come to come right. have sex with her.
2: Well, uh, it, in this week's reading, it was like she's writing letters. She sees yeah. a drawing of men in other nations. And she's like, oh, I want me some of that. And she writes him a letter and says, hey, come on over here.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah. Come
2: on over here. Travel from one nation to another because I want me some of that.
0: Right. Right. And so we're told that all these these then lovers of hers are going to turn against her. So we're talking, uh, it was spelled out here, Babylonians, Chaldeans, Pekod, Shoah, Koah, Assyrians. All of these are going to turn against Jerusalem or Oholibah here. And so they're going to remove her nose and her ears, which is, I mean, let's face it. You take the nose and ears off of a pretty lady and she's not going to be so pretty anymore. You know, she's not going to look so desirable anymore. Um, and, you know, some of the readings we've done before, it was a little questionable at this point, just how desirable she looked anymore anyway.
2: because right, she's having to offer up money. Like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm over here. No, no, no. Hey, okay, I'll pay you.
0: Yeah. But essentially, all of the desirable traits are going to be gone because her clothes and jewelry are gone. Uh, she's 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 not physically attractive anymore. And this is how God's going to force her to give up her harlotry. And
1: But I have in my notes here. Yes. That... But we see that we see that with with um, with Israel, because we go back to, oh, Hezekiah. And remember, he was on death's door and he he begged for more. He begged for more time, got 15 more years. And remember, the Babylonians went there. Mm -hmm. And what did he do? He showed him (laughs) him the gold, showed him the stuff, Yep. showed him the stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and I was thinking that parallel right now is that, you know what, you had the opportunity to spread God, but you showed him everything else, your innermost treasures, because it says Hezekiah took them everywhere, showed mm-hmm. him the gold, golden um, shields, showed him all the money they had, and didn't tell them the source of their prosperity. And what did they do? They started making plans right then to come and take over their country.
3: Yep.
0: Came for it. You, you have stuff I like and I would like to have it. And so we're going to come and get it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep.
1: yep. So just like the harlot here. And Karen, I think that's hilarious. Come get some. <laughs> because I showed you everything I have. Yeah. And I'll pay you for it. Take everything I have.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's really what happened. And so as the chapter continues, then the sisters get judged. Everything they've been they've been doing says it's going to we're going to declare to them their abominations. So we're talking about uh, it spells out adultery with idols, sacrificing their sons, which still boggles my mind. I mean, we're not talking we're not talking allegorically here. We're talking literally sacrificing their children, passing them through the fire to that to that statue of Molech, you in know, that furnace that they would lay their kids on and burn them to death just absolutely disgusting stuff uh talks about how they have defiled the sanctuary which we've seen they've turned it into a stables they've turned it into a brothel they've turned it into a storage unit um so defiled the sanctuary and profaned the sabbaths and it says on the same day so like all at the same time they have they have taken everything that was supposed to be representative of their relationship to God. And they have just wrecked it, utterly wrecked it. And we see those, we see specifically, I think several times in the readings we saw talking about profaning the Sabbaths and Sabbaths plural. It's not just, I think it's not just the weekly Sabbath, but I think it's also talking about all those other feasts that they would be doing. And they would, I, I think, you know, it seems like maybe they would be giving them some sort of a lip service. Maybe they would, maybe they would observe them to some degree, but probably not with any real sincerity. I don't know. They've just been gross. I guess that's really the best way I can put it. They've just been gross. And they'll, they're going to be judged, it says, by righteous men, and they'll be stoned and executed with swords. And so, um, you know, these are all the warnings that we're seeing is that All of their, all of their bad behavior is going to come to a head and, you know, these, these nations that they've been courting for so long, then are going to turn, they're going to turn on them. Now, chapter 24 gives us, gives us one of those odd Ezekiel pictures to look at. Well, first we're told that this takes place on the ninth year, the 10th month, the 10th day. This is exactly when Nebuchadnezzar starts his siege against Jerusalem. Now, remember, Ezekiel is already in Babylon at this point. And so God is telling Ezekiel, write this down. This is when it happened. It was today. So make note of it. Nebuchadnezzar put Jerusalem under siege. Now he's going to uh, illustrate this by having Ezekiel fill a pot with some water and some meat and start bringing it to a boil. And so the pot represents Jerusalem. The meat in the pot represents the people in Jerusalem. And then it talks about scum in the pot. And I took this to be all the sins that Jerusalem was, was uh, committing. So it's like the pot isn't clean and uh, the, the, all the gross aspects of it didn't get taken out of there. And we're going to let, it sounds like to me, like we're going to let the pot basically boil dry and burn up all the meat. And then the pot itself is going to be just left on the coals and the pot itself is going to burn up. And so that all this stuff is going to get consumed. And so this is a picture of how God is dealing with with Jerusalem. Uh, essentially, take it down to the foundations and and start over
2: it reminded me of what we read last week about when god was calling them dross
3: mm-hmm. like
2: he was saying you know they were supposed to be they were supposed to be the leftover purified silver and instead they're they're actually the dross like they're the the things that you want to take out of the silver to get quality mhm and and i kind of took it as another uh sort of metaphor for that
0: yeah and interestingly it was It was like choice cuts of meat that were in the pot. And so I think that that, you know, that says something about how God still views the people. This is the good stuff. This, you know, this is the good stuff that you would normally want to try to save. And but we're not going to be able to save it. We're going to have to let it we're just going to have to let it sit there and 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 go. And, you know, if you've ever let a pot boil on accident, you know, had a had something in a pot and let it boil and you know it gets ruined it's it's ruined and of course if you leave the pot on a stove um with nothing in it you, you're likely gonna mess up the pot too so it's all needing to be cleaned here because it didn't get it almost seems to me like maybe it didn't I don't know if my analogy is right here. Almost like it didn't get cleaned beforehand or it was just sort of left. Yeah, I guess because they brought the sins with them. They brought it all with them and they didn't let it go. And so it didn't really get cleaned before they started cooking.
2: Well, yeah, he says, woe to the city of bloodshed. Okay, so I've got this parallel Bible. So New King James says, um, so this is in verse six, chapter 24, verse six. Woe to the bloody city to the pot whose scum is in it whose scum is not gone from it and then um, the NIV says woe to the city of bloodshed to the pot now encrusted whose deposit will not go away so so yeah the pot because so so the city of bloodshed the way i read that is the the behavior the actions of the city in the past is the crust is the scum that's in the pot and so mm-hmm. now it has to be sort of cooked out of it,
3: mm-hmm.
0: like right. purified silver. Right. So that's a uh, an interesting little picture we get. And then God has Ezekiel do something again because He likes to use Ezekiel for for these examples. And
2: I don't ever want to be a prophet. Can I just say that now? Like I, I know <laughs> Paul. Paul and his covet for yourself's the best gift. I don't want to be a prophet. It looks like it sucks. Not gonna lie.
0: Yeah, Ezekiel's had to do some odd stuff like laying on his
2: I, I, I don't want to have I don't want to be sawed in half. I don't wanna I don't wanna chase a prostitute for a spouse. I don't wanna like I don't wanna do the things the prophets have to do. Right. <laughs> I don't wanna lay on my side and eat eight ounces of whatever for three years. I, I don't want to do it.
0: No, no, I agree. <laughs> well, yeah, so this picture, this is one, I don't know, as I was reading it, I was I was struggling with it, gotta be honest. Because it, it seems, well, I don't know. I don't know the circumstances around all the pieces of stuff, but let's just say, let's just get into what it talks about. Ezekiel is given prerequisite instructions for something that's going to happen here. He's told that I'm going to, I got, I'm going to take away the desire of your eyes, but you are not going to mourn about this. You're not going, you're going to keep, you had to put your turban on your head, your sandals on your feet. You're not going to openly mourn. And Ezekiel tells the people this, and then that night his wife dies. Uh, wouldn't want to be the prophet's wife either, I guess. I don't know. I struggle. I struggle with this one because I'm, you know, of course I'm wondering how much is God's hand in his wife dying? Was she going to die anyway? I don't know. Probably. We're not given. That's the way
2: not, I took it.
0: Yeah, we're not given any any details about why she dies. Um
2: He's not. I mean, God's not gonna you know sort of smite somebody down. I, I just took it as like he already knew. And if if let's just say let's if it was like a Sodom and Gomorrah thing where no, you will be destroyed. Well, okay, there was a reason Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, right? So we, yeah. I mean, we, we either. I think when it comes to people's lives, we either trust God or we don't. Yeah. Right. And 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 in, and in this case, there was no particular curse against her. So I just kind of took it that she was ill and God just knew that she was going to die and use this as a time of illustration. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Ezekiel didn't know that she was going to die or imminently or whatever. But God definitely knew that she was going to die.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not given any real details there, but this is the picture that's happening as Ezekiel then is told don't don't at least don't mourn openly. I don't know how you don't at least mourn internally when you're you know, when your well, wife dies, if she's the quote unquote desire of your eyes.
2: So New King James says, um, yet you shall neither mourn nor weep nor shall your t- tears run down sigh in silence. Make no mourning for the dead, right? Mm -hmm. And then NIV says, yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Groan quietly. Do not mourn for the dead. So he's not talking about how he feels. He's talking about his public display.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, don't show, don't, don't, don't show, don't show the sorrow.
2: And then it turns out it's because he's drawing an analogy.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Because now God talks about how he's going to, quote unquote, profane the sanctuary, which is the desire of Jerusalem's eyes. Which I think is meaning that even, even despite the way we've seen the people allow the sanctuary to be misused, they still must have kept some kind of pride in it. Like, you know, this is our sanctuary, this is our place of worship, and and our identity is is tied up in this sanctuary, even though they didn't really respect it. And God's going to allow it to be destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar.
2: Well, hang on a second. I think they didn't respect, I think they had lost their respect for it spiritually, but yeah. it was still, like, I mean, everybody knows, if you've been human for more than 10 seconds, you know that we humans are easily distracted from the from the spiritual intangible world to the things that are right in front of us. That's mm-hmm. why idolatry is such an easy thing to slide into. So I think they, were, they probably still considered it a point of national pride because it was a stunning building. Right. Mm-hmm. But they had lost the fact that it was actually a spiritual value, not an aesthetic value. Like, hey, we did a thing. Look at the thing.
0: Right. Right. And it's going to be destroyed. You know, it's going to get, I mean, taken down to the, it's gone, it's gone, you know, it's just, it's gone. There's nothing left of it. And when this happens, the people will then turn to Ezekiel. And this will give Ezekiel opportunity to speak to them. And it says that he'll be assigned to them and they will know that God is Lord. So by taking away their pretty thing, that they haven't really, they haven't really valued properly. They will finally see, or at least Ezekiel will finally have opportunity to show them and speak yeah, to them. it's, and, it's and an con-
2: opportunity. <laughs>
0: and talk to them and get them to understand that God is the one who's in charge.
2: You and, got distracted. Saying, the pretty thing wasn't the thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, God is Lord. The temple's not the Lord. You know, we've talked about how in the past, how it seems like maybe they, even to some degree, were worshiping the temple itself. They they put so much they put so much emphasis on the building that they lost sight of what the building represented, and um and so there all all the worship things they were doing in there to these other gods, um yeah they just they had lost the idea of what the temple was supposed to be and had had really ruined. I mean it talks about God profaning the sanctuary. No, the people had profaned the sanctuary, and God was like, well, that thing's not doing what it's supposed to be doing anymore. So we're going to just going to get rid of it. We're going to, we're going to just take care of it here. So then the next couple of chapters, next few chapters, I think they, they demonstrate to us how, even if people don't believe what we believe, they're still going to be held to the standards that God has placed on human beings. So what I mean by that is we have several proclamations given over the next oh, three chapters, basically 25 through 27 against surrounding nations. We have a proclamation against Ammon, one against Moab, one against Edom, one against the Philistines and one against Tyre. And well, we can start with, with Ammon and this proclamation is being given against them because they expressed like joy when they saw the sanctuary destroyed, they saw the land become desolate. They saw Judah in captivity. And so they get delivered to uh, says men of the East, which I think this is just, this is just Babylon is just wiping everything out. They're just going around taking over everything. All these, all these surrounding nations that were watching Jerusalem, seeing Jerusalem go from a high point in, in their, um, influence to now an utterly low point. And some of them have been actively fighting against Jerusalem for a long time. Some of them are just watching and just having like this utter glee as Jerusalem is taken down. But what it made me think of is people who don't claim Christianity, but understand what at least have a some tertiary idea of what Christians believe, and they think that because they are not Christians, they're not going to be held to the standards that Christians are held to like well, I'm glad I'm not a Christian so that I don't have to do that oh well, like we were talking before we before we started recording today when there are doctrines held by uh, by Christians. And of course, different denominations have different doctrines, but thinking, thinking that you are not subjected to those just because you don't claim the belief in them. It's a bit of a misnomer because if God is real, if God has standards for people,
2: God's standards don't change there you go. based on your knowledge. However, times of ignorance, God winks at Sure. Right. So there's a couple of places in the Bible where it says times of ignorance God winks at. But then what's the rest of the text? But now calls all men to repentance. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you genuinely don't know. But you're serving God out of love to the best of your abilities, he's going to wink at the stuff that you don't know. That's kind of like, well, we don't want to crack down on somebody who doesn't even know the rules. Come on. Mm-hmm. But if you do know, but it seems too hard, or you don't feel like it, or you got distracted, or you had plenty of opportunities to know, and you never pursued those opportunities, and I, I think that's the key. But, but then the rest of that text is, but now calls every man to repentance.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So there's a there's a time to when people will serve God out of what I would call immature love. Right and Isaiah, I think, was it chapter 28, talks about that. It's like, how how do we teach the gospel? How do we teach it? A little, little, you know, line upon line, here a little and there a little, and and it refers to new Christians as being babes just drawn from the breasts, right? So, and Paul refers to the milk of the gospel. And he, at one point, reprimands, I don't remember which, which church in the New Testament, but he reprimands one of his churches by saying, you're still drinking milk. You should have graduated on to meat now, but you're still drinking milk. And at this point, it's by choice, right? So that's what we're talking about. Like, you, you're not trying to hold people responsible for stuff they don't know. Mm-hmm. Have they had an opportunity to know?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Did they learn it? And did they then choose not to engage with it? Right. So that's that's kind of like the thing that we're talking about. It's like you're supposed to. And and so when it comes to a, a quality relationship with God, we have to accept the teaching that becomes available to us. It's up to us to pursue it. But nobody's going to come spoon feed what you need to know for your own salvation. Like that's not how that works. Like mm-hmm. the Bible says flat out, you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling like that is on you to seek out that relationship, learn what you need to learn, make the corrections you need to make, and stay true to it. God is the only one who knows where each person is at on that curve. Whether it's a learning curve or a compliance curve, God is the only one who knows where each person is at or each nation is at on that curve. So what we're, what we're looking at here in Ezekiel, we're looking at um, a nation who has had plenty of opportunity, their knowledge curve is just fine. Their compliance curve is where they're sucking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we start talking about the other nations. Whatever it is that they've been exposed to, God is comfortable passing judgment on them now. So apparently their their knowledge curve is acceptable to him and their compliance curve is not happening and he's putting judgment down. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I read that.
0: Yeah, these are all nations. I mean, every one of them. Um, we've 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 read about their interactions with the Israelites in the past, and a lot of times we've seen that they have acknowledged uh, the idea that the Israelite God was supreme. That that uh, he he is something to be reckoned with. Yet they kept having their contempt against the israelites in various different ways um you know we can talk about the edomites that's goes way back to the times of esau and just holding on to a grudge you know that that hatfields and mccoy's grudge that the edomites and the israelites had kept for generations i i guess centuries at this point uh philistines who we had seen we've we've you know some of the some of the most famous stories of the Bible of like David and Goliath and uh, Samson you know we've seen, we've seen how God's superiority has been demonstrated to them in the past and they still didn't uh, didn't recognize God's shouldn't say recognize they they've recognized it but they haven't complied with God's superiority.
2: So, so in the chapters about Tyre, for whatever reason, like some of these other nations, let's see, so Ammon, Moab, Edom, and, and uh, Philistia get like little paragraph type entries yeah. of information in chapter 25. And then we get Tyre, and Tyre gets... Um,
0: Two chapters.
2: Oh well, keep going. Chapter 28. We didn't read it yet, but...
0: Yeah, no, they get two. They get two entire chapters get, for Tyre. They
2: get three chapters. The two that we read, the two that we read this week, twenty-six and twenty-seven, and then the king of Tyre specifically is still being prophesied against. And there was this. Okay, so my daughter plays harp, and there was this. Uh, it made me laugh. Lots of things make me laugh. it shouldn't. So sorry. But in chapter twenty-six, when he's on a rant against Tyre, it says, "I will put an end to your noisy songs." And the music of your harps will be heard no more. And I was just like, that's hilarious. Because anybody who's ever been around a harp, like that's not a noisy instrument. <laughs> it's it just isn't. And and I and I used to joke when my daughter was practicing when she was a kid, I would, I would be like, Phew, at least she didn't pick up trumpet. You know how somebody's <laughs> playing a trumpet like it's in your face, somebody's playing drums like it's in your face, somebody's crashing along on a piano, like it's loud. But somebody plays harp, and even if they play it horribly and mess up, it's just kind of a gentle sound. So (laughs) I kind of had to chuckle here. It was just like a mom moment. I will put an end to your noisy songs, and the music of your harps will be heard no more.
0: (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I I, I haven't been around them that much, but I was going to say if it's played well, of course, it's a joy, but... um...
2: If it's played not well, it's still a gentle sound over in the corner of the room. Like, it's just not a big, bangy instrument. If your heart makes a really loud sound, you probably knocked it over. My daughter has a concert grand. Like, it's got a wide, curved soundboard for sound projection. And it is still not a loud instrument. Mm. It's just mellow and warm sounding. And it's like, I mean, it's just not, uh, that's the last thing I think of when I think of noisy songs.
0: Yeah, it is interesting that Tyre gets so much attention here.
2: That's a scolding.
0: Mm-hmm. Where, and I guess in a lot of ways we get reminded here how influential Tyre had been, because it starts talking about all the trade they had done. We know, we know that you know we've read in the past a lot of the things that Israel was trading with Tyre. Um, wasn't that? weren't they getting cedar? Yeah. From Tyre, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and I mean it was like this open exchange. You give us as much cedar as we want, we'll give you as much I think it was food and stuff that you want. King David set that up. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're seeing that all the you know, all these other nations around too were also were also trading with Tyre. And so Tyre was a was a a city and on an island of all things, which is for, which is interesting that they were as prominent as they were that had huge influence on the on this all these uh surrounding nations. And the this proclamation against them is because they of the joy they showed when Jerusalem fell. And I guess God doesn't like that because you know, Jerusalem had been a big part of Tyre's greatness through that trade. And Tyre is gonna get wiped out like all these other nations that that have been that have been mentioned here, and Tyre gets gets compared to a big ship built and crewed by men from all the surrounding nations. So they had been built up by these nations; they had been made beautiful by these nations. Um, Says so talks about how they had served as merchants for Tyre as they traded their goods, and Tyre is just going to fall into ruin. The amount of attention that it's getting. I think speaks to to how much how much we're held accountable according to the influence that we have. Where does our power and our influence lie? Where do we direct that power? And we're held accountable to it if we have great power of influence. I'll use the I'll use the old Spider Man adage: "With great power comes great responsibility." uncle, uncle Ben teaching Peter Parker that, um, (laughs) in, in his youth, but it's a, it's a good adage, you know, if you have, if you have a position of being, uh, influential and then you turn around and you are gleeful when the people who have lifted you up are falling down, uh, that's not a, that's not a very responsible attitude to take. And God's not taking kindly to to their attitude specifically towards uh, Jerusalem here.
1: I think it's exactly what you said. They they came into prominence from Jerusalem, from Israel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and God God kind of draws it out to make it very clear yeah. that
1: that was trying to think back. And I can't think that they were mentioned before that. Were they? Did I just miss something
0: mentioned before
1: for before King David and the alliance that they had with him for supplying the the uh, temple,
0: that's the first mention I remember. Yeah, yeah. When they were supplying cedar for the temple. Yeah, I think so. I think it started with the temple, and then it kind of went into just a a, a goods trading between back and forth mm-hmm. with the cedar and building up the cities and and whatnot. Yeah, I think so. And so, really, I mean, from what we've read uh Israel and Jerusalem were very prominent in in lifting Tyre up to the position they were in and then when when Jerusalem falls Tyre kind of points and laughs ha ha and and uh they they get destroyed for it for that for that attitude so that's where we leave the, this happy Happy, happy reading this week of of everybody being destroyed and taken apart and wiped out and, and punished for, I don't know, like I said before, I don't know if I like the using the word punished. But certainly, certainly getting their just desserts for the positions they had taken and um, neglecting to recognize that God was in charge and had the ability to keep them raised up or see them torn down. And we're seeing that they're being torn down. So with that next week, I guess we will be getting into Ezekiel chapters oh, 28 through 33. So, yep, as we finish this week and we think about next week uh, and you're reading that, please remember that you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at Look us up on Facebook. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that we reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.